Dee Smith, welcome in. It is the latest edition of the Unnamed Soccer Podcast. The Unnamed Soccer Podcast is brought to you by Three Punk Ales in Chula Vista. Delicious beer in San Diego. San Diego does beer pretty well. Three Punk Ales does it extremely well. Darren, we are also brought to you by Sport Clips, which is actually open. Darren and I are back getting haircuts. Even though we got quarantine in Southern California, we are back at Sport Clips. Love it. Smith. I'm doing well, doing well. Yes, I do love getting back in there, and I know people are somewhat apprehensive about this. Just know the people at Sport Clips, they have gone to great lengths to make sure that your safety is ensured. They want you to feel responsible. So check it out on the app, check it out on the website, and go get a haircut. So we're happy to see them back open again, even though we don't really have a lot of sports (laughs) to talk about. Not quite yet, unless you want to get up early and watch a little bit of European soccer. Well, uh, Darren, I think it's a great opportunity for us to look ahead and to look ahead. I think it's a great opportunity for us to have uh, one of our guests, one of our favorite guests back on the podcast. He is Jeff Reuter. He is a staff writer with The Athletic. He covers not only USL, he covers Major League Soccer, and specifically he covers Minnesota United. He is Jeff Reuter. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at Reuter Jeff, and he joins the Unnamed Soccer Podcast right now. Welcome in, sir, via, Thank you. via Zoom. I will, point people, I will point people to Jeff Reuter, not Reuter Jeff. Reuter Jeff is my personal account Uh-oh. where I'm just tweeting random thoughts at night, which no one wants to see. Uh, so so go, to, go to Jeff Reuter. You know, I think the second I'm up with a name by now. I really did. Um, so I don't know if I'm really inspired or disappointed by the fact it's still the Unnamed Soccer Podcast, but it's good to be back regardless. Yeah, that's true. I know. I mean, repeat guests usually have that same opinion. They say, I thought you guys would have had a name by now. And, and you know, I wanted to be original. On, yeah, five, six years. So it's just sort of become our, our brand. Uh, so July, July 11th. I know last time we spoke with you, Jeff, it was right before the, the start. You know, they were starting the train here in San Diego. July 11th sounds like a date that, that we've been told locally to pay attention to with the return of the United Soccer League. What is it? What do we what do we think it looks like when we're when we're starting to get closer and closer to July 11th? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be very blunt and say it'll be sloppy. Um, you're getting to a different difficult point where for American soccer leagues, Major League Soccer was able to play two games um, before they were shut down in early March. Most USL teams played one, three played zero, San Diego and uh, Tacoma played two. So you, you went through preseason, you assumed this is how your team's going to get set up, and now you have three, four months without any sort of organized training. Finally, the, the full team training contact moratorium was lifted today, which means that players will undergo uh, COVID testing, and if they show up negative, they can participate in contact drills by the end of this week. Um, so you're still only looking at like two and a half weeks, if I'm reading my calendar right. And it's going to be very interesting to see. I think, luckily, if there was ever a time for the quality of play to take a dip, it's probably right after coming out of this pandemic, because I think fans are going to be incredibly forgiving uh, if the Premier League and the Bundesliga have been any indication and just thirsty for domestic soccer, and they won't really care if it looks much better than their local high school team. Uh, But it will be much better, obviously, right? I I mean, these are professional players. They will have the camaraderie, but it's a year-on-year roster build. I mean, even like Sacramento Republic, who's been around far longer than Loyal, uh, they have a lot of turnover. They had a ton of turnover, actually, this particular offseason, now that MLS is confirmed, as they're starting to kind of scope out some players who might be there in two years if they still make the jump on that same sort of time frame. Um, 
I mean, you'll, you'll probably see it more regionalized. You're supposed to have the competition rules and guidelines by the end of this week, uh, just in terms of what that's going to look like. How many games are you playing? Are you, are you trying to limit it so you're not playing everyone in your conference? Keep it kind of north-south split divisional model, which is what they were exploring back in April. Um, I mean, there's still a lot that needs to be figured out. But yes, it will be in your home markets uh, for your respective clubs. It will be regular season followed by postseason unless we go into a major fall second wave sooner than experts are expecting, which is supposed to be somewhere in November, December kind of range. Um, there's still a lot up in the air. But I think in general in this world, we're just reacting to everything happening to us in real time. So there will be balls kicked around, there will be goals scored, and there will be some clean sheets had as well. I can promise you that. All right, so I, uh, I need you to explain something that you referenced there in your answer. It's the fact that we're actually going back to home markets. Um, as mm. basketball fans get ready for the NBA to return next month, they're getting ready for every single team to go to Orlando and get right. thrown into an entire bubble at Disneyland. Um, why is it that USL gets to go back to home markets? And why aren't they going to Disneyland in Anaheim underneath the huge bubble? Well, we can't all go to Disney World first of all. And when Major League Soccer and the NBA have dibs, uh, you, you have to work around that. Look, the, the USL looked at a few different locations. I've been able to confirm three of them that they were looking at. They were looking at Tucson, they were looking at Las Vegas, and they were looking at ding, 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 San Diego. So with that in mind, they did look especially in kind of that Southwest corridor as one, it's very different from Orlando in terms of proximity, which means that just players are traveling as staff are traveling there aren't going to be overlapping which is a minor factor but still a factor to lodging you need a lot of lodging because you're looking at major league soccer sending 1300 people just from its clubs and the league itself for 26 teams 45 players and staff per club going down to wide world of sports complex and if you have 35 teams making that same sort of thing. I know USL rosters are even smaller than MLS rosters, but you're still looking at about 23, 24 players probably per, and then 16 staff members to bring you to a cool 40 uh, on your covered list. Um, covered persons are what they're being referred to by lead documents. Um, that's a lot of people to try to wrangle in. And then that's just the championship. You're assuming if you're able to pull that off, League One, which is 12 more teams are going to say, well, what about us? Well, can we just leech onto this plan, play later, play in these groups, have, you know, spread it out, however you're going to do it. So you have 47 teams that you're trying to do this for. It's unwieldy. There's no way that you could really pull that off. So I think in markets, there are more risks. There are certainly more stipulations and guidelines that they needed to draw up in terms of more frequent travel, in terms of bus travel uh, and flights, again, uh, once a week at minimum, probably with how they're going to have to reschedule these out. But uh, overall, they decided that would make the most sense for a league of the size of the USL championship. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that the other interesting thing is, and, and I know you can, or we can't answer this yet, but in terms of the ideas of what it's going to look like. like. Like I've heard a little bit around here that it might be not full-blown World Cup group state play or right. MLS returns style, but that there might be some regional variation of that where like using our, our club as an example. You know, you might play Orange County, you might play LA Galaxy 2, maybe you would mm -hmm. play Vegas and then, you know, you pick up a Phoenix or a Reno or, you know, so in terms of like what to expect in, in terms of scheduling, some of the ideas that, that are being kicked around, Jeff, what do you got? There's uh, the, the front runner idea that they had back in April was for a, essentially a divisional model. Um, and so what this would be is that the 35 teams are split 
um, in their conferences, obviously, and then those conferences are essentially split in half. So you would have maybe the, the Northeast, the Northwest, Southeast, Southwest. Um, I drew like the, the most uninspired line map of how this might work, uh, which is a very good thing to bring up on an audio-based forum where no one can see what I'm looking at. Um, but it's on The Athletic, which is worth the price of entry alone to watch my sausage fingers try to draw on my iPhone. But um, what you could also do is split it up where you have the full Pacific time zone in one conference, essentially. And so you have to decide between either Phoenix Rising or Real Monarchs. Do you want the regular season champion or the, the, the USL championship final champion? But what you could do is you could have all the way up from Tacoma to San Diego, uh, out to, again, Utah or Arizona. Split it there. You have all the Texas teams, the Nevada team. Um, no, Nevada would still be in the West. So then you'd have Arizona. You'd have Oklahoma. There are two teams there. Uh, you'd have Colorado Springs. And that would comprise the rest of the West. And then the East, you basically do a a split uh, pretty evenly above the Carolinas and uh, south of Missouri. And then you have the entire East there too. So what you could do with that, again, they're still finalizing what this is. Um, when the vote came through on the return to play plan for the championship and league one, it wasn't voting on a specific model. It wasn't voting on a competition guideline. They were voting on, yes, we will move forward with the intention to play in our markets. They weren't saying we're going to do this world cup style. We're going to be doing this in two or three different locations. We're going to be able to split East and West into different ones. Um, they were voting on coming back home. So what you can do with this model as well is you play through your division once or twice, you play through the other division in your conference once, um, and you have maybe 20 games that you'd be able to play at that point. Or at that point, I think you're actually looking at, um, yeah, 20, give or take. So, so that's good. I think that that's going to be the, the, the sweet number for the regular season, 16 to 20. There has been conversation about truncating the postseason as well. So you would only have uh, four teams advancing per conference just so that you're able to actually have a playoff final and you have higher stakes for just the season. Uh, but Major League Soccer has also looked into expanding its postseason to try to make up for some of this lost revenue with additional possible television revenue for these markets with their local TV deals, which can get renegotiated for the playoffs. So they're looking at having nine teams instead of seven. I don't know if the USL wants to look into that. But again, if you increase it much more than the 10 that are already there, uh, you just have another round of the regular season. So uh, unfortunately, there's still a lot that needs to be figured out, but I think regionalizing it makes it most effective, especially because any trip uh, under 500 miles would be done by bus, which is easier to coordinate and safer. So you want more of those games as possible for as many teams as you can. Obviously, teams in the Midwest and certain other pockets of the country are kind of out of luck in terms of having a regional rival. But if you are able to split it up more like that, you can avoid fights as often as possible. So given that there's such emphasis then on, on playing regionally during the regular season, and I'm guessing that we, we can't answer this, but I'm sure there's been some consideration given to what postseason looks like. You said perhaps fewer clubs. Would we entertain the idea of neutral site to help avoid travel? I'm sure that that's at least been kicked around. I don't know if any decision has or hasn't been made, but if anybody knows it, you right. know. Yeah, if, thank you for that. Um, I, I think that there's a there's a part of it too where – I mean, look, we can each come out and say what this is going to look like in October. 
And we're going to have three very different answers. We can get creative with it too. We can say that it's only going to be in the Pacific Northwest and somehow COVID will migrate, right? And it's only going to be there. And we are pretty confident that Tacoma and Portland Timbers too are not going to make the playoffs. So we're not even going to worry about it. And then we're going to be totally fine. That could be one model, right? There are different projections you can use. We can't predict this. And we haven't been able to predict this. Leagues have not been able to chart return to plays accurately on any sort of consistency until the last couple of weeks. And even then it's because they're planning as near term as possible. So the playoffs in terms of neutral site, in terms of how many teams, in terms of how many rounds, all of this stuff. um, Yes, they are planning towards it. Yes. They have tentative models. Again, fewer teams. That's makes it easier for you to coordinate whether you're trying to go in markets or go to a hub postseason like they're doing with the champions league final eight out in lisbon um there are different ways that you can pull that off and honestly that's probably easier if you tell yourself we're going to play in one city great hard part is one you're losing significant revenue for these clubs and i think that the clubs would have some serious reservations and say if we've been able to play in our markets for eight to ten home games already why can't i have an 11th or 12th when by the way i'm going to sell this thing out most likely because it's playoff soccer in a town that hasn't had sports for half the year that is as easy a ticket sell as this league will ever see. The other side of it is you don't want it to be that easy of a sell because then you're pushing these limitations in terms of 50% capacity at your stadiums, in terms of social distancing platforms. You're going to be trying to push standing room only, whatever. It's natural. It's it's what every business does, uh, whether you're sporting or events or anything else. You want to make money. And I understand it, especially right now. And make no mistake, that is the focus right now. I think that people are trying to talk themselves out of this idea that it is a business and say that, no, they're negotiating out the love of the game. They're finding a way to get soccer back in this. No, come on. It's a business. You need to make revenue. We're in an economic crisis that's getting masked by this pandemic, but it's because of the pandemic. Like you need this revenue. If you play neutral site, that's going to be a major sticking point for a lot of owners who already, again, it wasn't unanimous that they even were going to come back in their own markets. It was 22 to 13 split. So I think that they're still trying to figure that out neutral site from a purely logistical how do we pull it off for soccer operations with no other considerations makes by far the most sense because you're only coordinating four to eight different teams uh, depending if you do it east west or you do one centralized spot but i unless they're really forced to buy this thing i think that they would push against that as hard as they possibly would so jeff i want to talk about something you touched on there briefly it's not every single club is created equal in this league, as we know. History has shown mm-hmm. that. Um, are there any clubs in this league that you're kind of worried about potentially coming back? We talk about these ideas of playoffs, what it could look like. I mean, maybe we're get, maybe getting too far ahead with some of these clubs. Are there some clubs, obviously, you're not worried about at all. What are a few of the clubs that you're a little concerned about coming out of a pandemic? Yeah, I don't think I'm worried about 2020 yet because some these contracts have already been signed. These budgets were already done. If a team really wasn't going to be able to play in 2020, they wouldn't be playing in 2020 to begin with. So um, Fresno would have been the obvious answer to that. And uh, the fact that he's getting a club in another smaller city is probably a conversation for another episode. Um, but then you're looking at... Um, The obvious three are the three in markets where Major League Soccer will be launching within the next two years, but not by the same ownership. So you're not looking at Sacramento. What you're looking at is St. Louis FC, Austin Bull, Charlotte Independence. Uh, They have already had, to various extents, some more extreme than others, a lot of difficulty charting a road forward past the 2020 season alone. Uh, Especially if you're looking at Austin, where Austin FC... 
uh, with Matthew McConaughey as part of the ownership group and Yeti as the jersey sponsor. Um, they're launching next year as of right now. They might change that, of course. Right? They might have to play, bump it back to 2022, depending on everything like this. But um, if they are still on course, it is very hard to see a way where you can sustain an independent, unaffiliated second division club in the same market, which is already struggling to draw in each of these three clubs' cases relative to the potential of the MLS club. And all three are less accessible. I'm trying to remember Charlotte's facilities, but at least Austin and St. Louis are in suburbs and they're harder to get to. Um, I mean, Circuit of the Americas who run Austin Bold had to make some severe cuts in the first week of the pandemic. They fired the, the general manager of Austin Bold uh, in that first wave of cuts and they've had to make subs subsequent cuts. Uh, I believe St. Louis FC is still fine. And if anything, they might be in a better spot to play in 2021 because of this for other logistical reasons. Um, but those clubs are going to struggle. Make no mistake about it. You're going to see some clubs who are looking into, okay, how much is it to bump down to League One? And can I sell this charter to NISA clubs? Can I sell it to, and this is spitballing, and yes, there is some truth to this, of course, but it, could I sell it to the New York Cosmos? Could I sell it to the Oakland Roots? Does Detroit City have any interest in corporated soccer? And the answer is, of course, they don't. But are we going to be able to find buyers in cities like New Orleans, cities like Jacksonville, Florida, cities that are not actively in the pursuit of a USL expansion franchise, but maybe they're already quicker, closer to up and running where they can buy a franchise right and jump into the league sooner? That is something that I think is going to be worth following over the next six months um, from myself and others who report on these kinds of things. Uh, and those talks are already ongoing, at least for one market which I'm going to conveniently leave out of this podcast. Oh, all right. I like that. Mysterious there from Jeff Reuter. Yeah, I mean, overall, what would you say, I mean, for us, because, you know, I'm sure we asked you about this last time. Well, maybe we didn't, but like the financial stability of the league as a whole. Now, nobody knows how to manage a pandemic because this is everybody's first pandemic. I mean, for God's sake, Major League Baseball can't quite figure this out. <laughs> uh, but, right. but overall, right. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the financial stability of the league, I mean, what sort of ground was it standing on as it was heading into the 2020 season to begin with? Uh, the, the, the firmest ground it had ever stood on. And, and I will go so far as to say the firmest ground that lower division soccer in the United States had ever stood on. Um, 2020 was poised to be a banner year for USL, the 10th year of the USL pro era, the modern era with the, the, the Papadakis involved upper, in the upper rungs. Um, this was going to be a major year. Yes, it was a smaller league by one team than it was in 2019. However, each of those teams, you're only adding two new teams because you have San Diego as an expansion club, and then you have the Miami FC taking over Ottawa Fury's charter. So, but Miami had already operated a club for five years in the lower divisions. Uh, they had experience. That was going to be a pretty easy, easy transition for them to work into. Um, and so instead of focusing on growth and hand-holding to make sure that your new clubs like 2019 with the kind of the, the, the baby boom of expansion clubs with, I think it was like eight or something obnoxious. Um, now you only have one that you're focusing on, maybe two. So it's easier to focus on quality over getting the newer clubs up and running. And again, the one who's joining or they've already lost it with Warren Smith. He's already had significant success with Sacramento Republic. You're not really worried about how they're going to operate in terms of building a culture, right? So this was going to be a very, major year for the league you have louisville opening the first 
modern soccer specific stadium in the second division of us soccer. Um, they'll still open it. Definitely not the way they expected. Uh, I was down there for the championship final in November, got a tour of it. it it's fantastic. It's, I mean, I, I'm based out of Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota United built a state of the art stadium. Um, and obviously there's some major differences, but it, it, it spares its blushes in terms of saying, you know, like, Oh, we're, you know, second division or whatever like that. It's still a very, very impressive stadium and it will be uh, kind of the crown jewel for, I think years to come. And the, the baseline example of what you hope you can find in other parts of the country, that was going to be a major moment once it opened. And I think it was supposed to be in April. Um, there were a lot of reasons to think that this was going to be a big successful year for the USL. Um, and, and I think that they're, they're pretty aware of that and, and certainly not the, there are a few leagues in the country, I will say, who do as well with their PR in-house as the USL does. I'll give them a lot of credit for that. But it's pretty hard to deny that they've been really disappointed, as everyone has, by these factors that are fully out of their control and worth taking seriously. So I'm curious because we've seen it in other sports. Um, there's a chance that this becomes an opportunity to change some things with the sport. Um, you can see maybe Major League Baseball trying to get some things across. Uh, is this an opportunity? And the reason I bring this up is because recently on The Athletic, you put together the USL supporter survey results. And one of the questions, of course, was about promotion and relegation. Uh, in any twisted way, is this an opportunity? Oh, to I thought you were asking about the European schedule. No, no, no. no. <laughs> is this an okay. opportunity? Part, of, part, of that, part of that survey was, uh, I think it was yeah. 78% wanted uh, right. promotion relegation in USL. Uh, is this an opportunity yeah. or is this, uh, is that actually um, in the future or is that just better to talk about? Yeah, I, it's in the future. I, if it's not in the future, the USL is going to have a very hard time recovering from that PR nightmare of saying, no, we're closed forever because the way they've gone about their phrasing their insistence, their platform usage. I mean, they've gone on non-paywalled Instagram live Q and A's with the athletic and said, yes, we're going to work on pro Rail hopefully within the next three years. They had ESPN two's airwaves for the championship final and said, yes, we're working on it and actively looking into it as soon as possible. Um, the TV deal, it's not quite a coincidence that they only negotiated it for three years and would have to redo after 2022 because, again, that's a timeline that they think would have been realistic to at least have the plan in place to activate for promotion and relegation, which, frankly, would do wonders for their TV negotiating capital, I would imagine. Um, all of that said, you might have a really hard time getting League One to a place where it's ready to send clubs up the ladder because they've lost this year. Because you're most likely not looking at MLS affiliates unless you have a swap of MLS affiliates. So you're looking at the independent clubs. Million Ford, Madison, Greenville, Triumph, uh, Union Omaha was launching this year, Tormenta FC. Um, you have some pretty strong locally supported clubs. The question, of course, is can it scale? Can they have the attendance necessary to meet the baseline requirements, which I believe is like two to two and a half times larger than it is for the third division. So you have to find ways to scale up their stadiums or have new venues they can move into. You have to have uh, your owner, your main primary owner with at least 30% ownership stakes. I know this is all the boring stuff that like I focus on and everyone kind of ignores, but like this is, these are the real questions that you have to answer before you can have promotion relegation in the United States uh, and in the USL in particular, even if Major League Soccer is not part of it is your owner twice as rich as the baseline requirements for the third division because they need to be for the second division for the person who owns at least 30% of the club. Um, in a lot of these cases, they're not. 
And so how do you work around that? How are you going to be able to find new investors who are going to be able to take over at least 30% stakes? And are those investors going to be as interested when you lost 2020 and they worry about the growth of the league? Now, of course, there's 2026, which every single soccer league, soccer fan, soccer player is going to talk about off the top of their head and say, this is the moment that men's soccer in the United States is really going to take off. That's still going to be an incentive. And we're going to be hearing about 2026 for another six years. And that's just the reality of it. But that carrot maybe looks a little further away or maybe a little too expensive or too rich for their blood because of the current state and because of the hors d'oeuvre that you're going through in the present. That is going to be some club's reality. And unless you can get League One to a point where it's, one, big enough, 12 teams isn't enough, two, uh, in good enough facilities, three, uh, financially stable enough to make that leap, you're going to have to keep kicking that pro conversation down the road even further. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, as, as, as much as we all or the soccer fans are excited about it, there's probably just not enough uh, wide-ranging, overarching sort of interest in that sort of thing just yet to, to make that a reality. That survey, yeah. by the way, was fantastic. And, and like, for oh, us, okay. I mean, it was super helpful for us just because, you know, this is a, a relatively new league, right? Like, you know, we, we, I learned a ton just even by the questions that you were asking. What were some of the, uh, the results that you got from the supporter survey that, that caught your attention or that you thought, I don't know about surprising, but just that were so more interesting to you than others? Oh, there were some surprises in there. Uh, genuine surprises. Uh, I, I think to a lesser extent, I was surprised by how many people were afraid of COVID's impact on the stability of clubs and the future of clubs, like we've discussed two questions ago, um, even if it wasn't their club, because the USL is such a regionally hyper-driven league where it's about your club. It's not about, you know, they put a franchise down in Birmingham and they're hoping that they're going to draw a crowd. It's, we want this to be Birmingham, Alabama's club, and we want them to really embrace the Legion. And that's the entire model. So in that sense, um, I kind of assumed that people would be more worried, more worried about their club being affected than any club in the league. So that was a little bit of a surprise. The bigger surprise to me was that people think that the USL championship's too big already, um, which I completely understand. Uh, I think that that's a, a lot of, I mean, OG soccer fans like me who are looking at it and thinking open table concept and saying, okay, well now this is two leagues. I compared it a little bit in the, the survey answers to like the old AFL NFL split where you only play in the Super Bowl because that's, that's it. That's the only time that the East and the West ever play each other is in the USL championship final, which needs a much snappier name in my opinion. But um, then you go to uh, the expansion futures and that has been the big calling card of the USL. And yeah, you've got to, you probably have to bump down at least three MLS two teams to league one to save face. I get that. There are probably a couple of these markets, again, the ones with MLS expansion coming in the future from other ownership that are going to bump out. So you're going to shift those over to somewhere else. I get that. But I mean, 60% of fans think that they should have stopped at 34 or less and 31% thought they should have stopped under 32. So you're, you're already bloated. You're already to a point where like, look, I, I, I guarantee you like the most diehard fans of their specific team probably can't name the entirety of the other conference that they're not playing. I'm very confident in that. And I'd love to be proven wrong. I know that again, there's a lot of nerds like me who spend a lot of time looking over soccer teams and memorizing (laughs) whatever. I bet that there are a lot of forgotten teams, whether they're MLS affiliates um, or independent clubs in markets that maybe you never would see because like when would San Diego ever play Hartford unless they met in the championship final, you're never scheduling a preseason friendly between those two clubs, unless it's neutral site in Missouri. So um, that was a surprise 
uh, I think that I was pleasantly surprised, or I would tend to agree with the data more that the highest priority is not promotion relegation. It's getting stadiums up yeah. to caliber, um, getting out of baseball stadiums, getting out of high school football stadiums, getting out of uh, shared venues where you don't own it and therefore can't get the revenue. It's harder. That is by far a more expensive venture. But until you get all those venues to meet the standards truly and not have to take some waivers on a few of them as a league, uh, you, you can't really do pro rep. So I think that that makes the, the, the most sense to me. What, what stood out to you, I guess? What maybe what did what did you take away from this? Well, I thought the interesting conversation about, um, you know, about the size of the league, you know, stood out to me and also what the future is of, of some of the MLS two clubs. You know, like, like, well, what is going on with LA Galaxy 2? Like, those are sort of tricky matches, you know, to, to even sort of schedule for and uh, prepare for because you don't know, like, what week-to-week, match-to-match, roster-to-roster, what you're going to get, you know? So sometimes, you know, you're just getting, like, some of your better players um, some playing time. Sometimes they're also sitting on the bench. Like, you know, like, it sort of seems like an odd fit, you know? It seems like it's one of those square pegs in the round hole, you know, and also just, like, I, I thought the venue stuff was really interesting because I know it's something San Diego Loyal is, is paying attention to, Pro-Rel. And, you know, I think for me, I was just sort of searching for, like, what do USL fans want? You know what I mean? Like, do, do fans of USL clubs ultimately want to be promoted to Major League Soccer or do they want to build a league that somehow challenges Major League Soccer for, for superiority on the domestic scene? Like, you know, and, and I know that wasn't a direct question necessarily. Maybe, but maybe of, it could be in 2021. Yeah, what I was I'll, sort of, I'll bring this back every year. Like yeah. that's no problem. Now that I've made the form once, I don't have to make it every time. So. Yeah, but, but like nice. I think you can sort of, you know, you can read between the lines on what it was that people were looking for. You know, like do you want your your USL club to build a good venue because you think it's going to help them get to MLS, or because you think it's going to help USL become a league that, if it were to figure out the pro rel thing, could legitimately? I know the soccer pyramid is going to, you know, the U.S. Soccer Federation is going to get in the way. But like, right. you know, I sort of find myself searching for like, well, what's the end game here? Not for San Diego loyal, but, but for the league as a whole, like, is it, is it to be San Diego yeah. or is it just to sort of, you know, be the best second division that it can be and, and hope that, you know, they get picked out of the crowd to go to the next level. Right. And, and the hard part too, is that that MLS carousel is pretty full. Um, I don't believe for a second that they're done uh, with the current round, like they've said they are. And they've even admitted because they've now got 2016's actively four more teams about to join. And for a long time, Don Garber and the rest of Major League Soccer said 30 is our number. And already at the, the preseason media availability in March, the first preseason, um, he was saying, well, we might be open to 32. And it's like, of course you would be. Like, if you can get that expansion revenue and you have markets willing to put in stadiums into Phoenix, Arizona, into Detroit, Michigan, into uh, where else would they be looking at this point? Um, and then you restart conversations about uh, San Diego. Maybe you're restarting conversations about um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And maybe you're looking at some of these other markets and saying like, oh, like how there are only so many times that you can threaten to move the Columbus crew. So like you have to expect that expansion is not done for major league soccer. So in that sense, there are going to be some fans of especially the Phoenix risings of the world. Maybe in some day the Louisville cities and the San Diego loyals will feel similar. Maybe someday the New Mexico uh, United's are going to feel like, Hey, we could be a Portland Timbers kind of thing. Why aren't we in there? We're already drawing crowds better than the, the Texas teams in MLS most of the summer. Like why can't we get in that dance? So that will still be part of it. 
But I think that MLS expansion is becoming less of the conversation in American soccer than it was three years ago, even when is, is it going to be Nashville, Cincinnati, you know, what's up with San Diego, what's up with St. Louis, all that stuff that has kind of died down, which I think helps fans focus on the local club and the league they're in just a little bit more intently. One of my uh, biggest takeaways from the survey was it felt really positive. It felt like there's actually a really good connection between the league and the, the fans that took the survey. It seemed like overall, yeah, I mean, we have important details to talk about. And I agree, the stadium conversation is more important for the league than promotion relegation, although pro-rel is a lot more fun to talk about. Overall, it felt like it was a really positive survey. Like if I was USL, if I was in the headquarters, I'd be pretty happy with how I'm standing with my fans. Yeah, and I think that was that was something I pretty at least close to expected. You know, having it uh, zero, one through ten scale, and most people saying a seven or an eight, that feels about right. Sixty percent of people said seven or eight, um, with actually the majority of those people saying eight. So um, I, I get it. I mean, again, like I already alluded to it, but the USL does really well with PR compared to every other sports league in this country. I would actually say every other at this point. Um, they do very well with uh, the presentation of the operation itself, with making sure to hit the news cycle at opportune, at, at better moments, maybe not try to piggyback off of an MLS announcement and say, hey, we've got our academy thing too, but strategically putting it on its own timeline. I think they do pretty well with that. They, they are very accessible in terms of interview access, um, I mean, frankly, they just have some really good people involved in the league that make casual soccer fans more interested now. You've got Landon Donovan, you've got Tim Howard, you've got David Villa coming in, you had Drogba, uh, you had Joe Cole. Like, you have these people, Eric Winalda, <laughs> you had. Um, oh, I saw both of you shrug, but I, I, I don't know if we're going to have time to go in that one. Um, but <laughs> it was going to be my next question. No, oh, that's fine. Yeah. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, <laughs> But you have these pull factors that even for people who don't care about Birmingham Legion, don't care about Colorado Springs switchbacks, don't really care about OKC Energy on their own, and that's fine. I mean, like, you'll talk to MLS fans who don't care about uh, Orlando City if they're based out of the Western Conference, right? Like, that's just going to be an inevitability of it, but there are these other factors about the league. There's the organic sort of nature. There's the uh, being the league that develops potential young players being the league that saw Alfonso Davies and Tyler Adams uh, learn how to, I mean, be professional soccer players before they went on to MLS, before they went on to the Bundesliga. That's a really cool thing that you can be promoting that frankly, they're probably under promoting, um, especially with their academy program system. But these are factors that make the USL palpable and seem less corporatized than major league soccer does to the average yeah. soccer fan and that's what makes it more popular for the fans who follow it than mls probably is with the fans who follow mls and its clubs and that's that's like precisely the the vibe that you get from reading the responses from your piece at the athletic and and even again just like separate conversations with you and other people who who know the league you know there's a guy who, who came over from fresno who works with Loyal, uh, you know, Jesse Beltran. I'm, I mean, I'm guessing you probably know of him if you've never met. And like, there's just a vibe to the league that, that sort of resonates, you know, that, that gets out of that, that corporate sort of um, uh, culture that you, you sort of sense with MLS. But anyway, I don't know. We yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, you know no. what I'm, you, you cover. Yeah, but I, I mean, you see it happen. I mean, again, like I, I do it a bit less now. It used to be more of a part of my plate of what I offer. But I mean, like I, I covered Minnesota United when they're in the then second division North American Soccer League, and covered them before, during, and after the announcement that they'd be going to MLS. And so I saw the fan base change. I saw how it grew. I saw how it maybe sophisticated its supporter culture from being something like, hey, we're all getting together, having fun. We have a plan, but we're not going to be rigid about it. To 45 minutes before kickoff, we are bringing the flags in before going to the tailgate. 30 minutes before kickoff, we are having the first fans and the first capital go in to start some chants as people are entering the stadium. We are really going to budget our time just from a fan side. And obviously that has nothing to do with the club itself. Um, that sort of thing does come with moving to the first division, the access of, I mean, like post game autographs, which seems like such a novel concept these days in social distancing and everything, but going to meet sweaty soccer players on the sideline to get something signed for your kid, that sort of stuff you don't do in major league soccer. You don't have nearly the same culture where every player is doing that lap. Um, these things matter in terms of, Again, these kind of questions of how, what kind of trust do you have in the league itself, which allows your clubs to act in this sort of way. Uh, you, you mentioned Winalda. This is a Winalda house. She's, you know, we, we, I consider Eric a friend. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly what happened other than what I've read, but uh, it's, right. it's kind of odd that, that – and, and by the way, like, is not every club back to training yet? I mean, I, I, I sort of sense that this was a bit of frustration for, for Eric with – lights but what happened any sense of what happened with Ronaldo in Las Vegas quite a bit um there's a few clubs that aren't trading right now um or or maybe weren't as of last week I know Austin wasn't training in in like small groups there's one other one in the east which I could look back on my whatsapp and probably find that conversation again but whatever um there's a there's a few who hadn't been training that way Vegas lights were also trying to put waivers into player contracts that said that if a player gets COVID-19 at a team function, team facility, if you're in this bubble where you're only working with your roommate teammates and small group training, uh, the club is not liable for the player testing positive. Uh, they made it into a two-page document, which I, I heard was a kind of a trip-up factor because the second that you make it a second page, players feel like, well, this is actually maybe a little more serious than just like a, hey, here's a little slip of paper, just write your name on it, and then we can go back, whatever. It's not a waiver that a lot of clubs were asking their players to take because obviously they're doing this for work, for their job, for their employer, which is the club. Um, and it's pretty hard to say that they would have gotten that otherwise outside a club thing. So anyway, so they weren't training for that reason. And that was something that was a big kind of sticking point for a lot. Um, what ended up happening that day, I mean, it has been reported and I can confirm a lot of what has been reported in the sense that the players were holding the the equivalent of a high school captain's practice where they're training without a coach being there. Um, uh, they were able to talk to the groundskeeper who is not employed by the team. So why would the groundskeeper of this training facility know not to let the players on that they weren't supposed to be training that day uh, with that size of however many players it was. Uh, they were kicking a ball around um, and ultimately the head coach takes the fall for that. And it sounded like that was kind of the last straw after a few straws had already been pulled. Um, I, I mean, like, look, you, you've seen the quotes go back and forth. Obviously, neither Brett Lashbrook, the owner, nor Eric Winalda uh, are shy. <laughs> uh, neither are particularly curt in how they talk. They will not mind going into detail about what's on their mind that day. 
And that's great. We need more people like that in this sport, right? Like I have no issue with that, but I think that you have to say that at some point, the truth is probably, uh, it's probably out there. There's probably some shade of it that's been said and uh, the, the more true hue is not fully said. Uh, but I think that there is some truth in the fact that Las Vegas Lights was launched and branded by another publication as the most interesting soccer club in the world within their first year for the mariachi band, for the llamas, for the cash drop, for all of this other stuff, Freddie Adu, I think, came through. Uh, like, all of this stuff that uh, Chelis was the head coach at that point, um, and they were called the most interesting club in the world. And that sounded like a pretty cool thing to you, USL club, I would imagine. And that sounds like a great sort of avenue to keep just going spearhead down. Um, but a former U.S. men's national team World Cup goal scoring player um, who is working on his like highest coaching license possible in Europe, who uh, has already had public flirtations with clubs in Germany that have been interested in him in the past because he has a history playing in the Bundesliga. Um, that guy is probably going to be very interested in the soccer side of your team. And those ideologies, even in a second division soccer scene, uh, don't always dovetail the way you'd expect. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it. The players, the sense I've gotten, and I've, I, I took Friday and Monday off on PTO, but that doesn't mean anything in this industry. Um, the, 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 it sounds as if the players have been really shocked and disappointed by the dismissal. Um, so we'll see. It also sounds like they could have a coach by the end of this week. They're already talking to candidates about candidates. And you also have to look and say, if they were that ready to go that quick in a coaching search when they don't have games for a few weeks, Yes, you would expect you'd want to coach as soon as possible with this ramp-up time, but you were probably thinking about replacing the coach already if your turnaround process is this far along. So, uh, man, this could be a whole episode. We could we could talk when all the lights slash broke like when all this. I mean, it's never boring. It's the one thing you could say about him. It's, it's wherever he goes, it's never boring. That's yeah. No, that's that's the very distilled. Uh, correct assessment of the situation. Yeah, I mean, and I hate saying this because it sounds like I'm knocking him, but we're not. I mean, like I said, he's been mm. very good to us, but like if you were betting on this happening to somebody, you know, after 100 days off, you would have been like, hmm, you know? Yeah, which club? <laughs> which club seems most likely? <laughs> in that situation yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely true. Yeah, I guess my initial reaction to it all is like, this just had to be more than a, than a practice at a high school field. Like there's right. no way this is the reaction to just a single thing. Uh, Jeff, no we do appreciate it. Really good conversation. We covered a lot of different things, and we haven't had any matches to talk about. Really good stuff. There you go. Yeah. By the way, uh, when, when we back. asked Jeff to come on, by the way, I said, hey, what about like 10, 15 minutes? He's like, uh, you could probably go like 20, 30 if you want. I've got nothing to do. We've gone 42. So <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, of course, guys. Keep up the good work with the show, and uh, hopefully be able to run into you someday in person in like 2023 when everything's back to normal. So what is your plan? Are you going to try to sneak into a USL match or <laughs> Uh, are we just media, gonna be watching how we do it? I was not named by name in the documents, which is for the best, but media will be allowed at games at a limited capacity. Uh, I mean, there's, there's definitely a possibility. I'm at a couple of games this year. Um, it, we, we, I mean, it's, 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 it's business specifics, but yes, we are able to travel at the athletic again, if we feel safe and if we're going to a location that is, is treating it seriously. So I would imagine I'll be poking around a couple of USL stadiums this year. 
yeah, I mean, San Diego, we take it very serious down here. If you come to San Diego, we have a few beers for you. Oh, that's perfect. That's great. Yeah. I will, uh, I'll have you roll them across the parking lot to me from six feet away and yeah, then I'll I open mean, them and we'll keep drinking. It'll be great. Love it. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down for finding some drinking games that, uh, that work with the quarantine. Uh, Jeff, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Reuter. He works for The Athletic, staff writer for The Athletic, covers USL, Major League Soccer, and specifically Minnesota United. Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, and stay safe up in Minnesota. Sounds good. And also, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic already, keep in mind we are running a 30-day free trial for new subscribers. Um, so if you're trying to catch up on the USL stuff, again, we, we went through 55 pages of documents internally Um to, to talk about how this league is going to come back. We did the supporters say we've done a couple of other reports. If you're looking to catch up and get ready before the season comes back, head to the athletic. Yeah, it's, it's great work. Like I said, for us, I mean, it's been tremendous. And plus it left us asking questions about, are we part of the 40? Who knows? We'll have to figure that out somewhere down the road. See you, man.